Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. But uh, I have something on my heart to share today. Um, I was praying in my devotion time during the week, and I was asking God, you know, what, what could I share? What could I say? And I've been meditating on the word, and God gave me a prophetic message uh, for, for this church. Uh, this church is, is, is a result of a legacy. It's, it's all, it has also uh, to do with, with a, a great father, with a, a family history in, in Pastor Eliseo. And so there's an example. There, there's a giant that, that paved the way. And, and so this message is, is for the legacy that's being built here. It's for, it's for the church that's, that's being built here. And so the big idea for today, if, if you're taking notes, I, I, I encourage you to take notes because you'll remember things that you write more so than things that you just listen to. Right. Uh, Pastor Derek likes to say history makers are exactly no one knows because you don't know him. <laughs> uh, history makers are note takers. Amen. History makers are note takers. So if you want to take notes, I encourage you. Uh, you could use your phone, your note app. But if that app goes into some other app, I pray that your phone would break in Jesus name. <laughs> Hallelujah. So write this down. The big idea is God is not done with you. Grace is going to keep going. And grace will keep you going. So the big idea is God is not done. God is not done here. God is not done with your life. God is not done with your story. He's not done with your family. He's not done with this church. He's not done with the influence in your life. He's not done with what God's been st st storing up for such a time as this. There is something to be finished in your life. And when you get there, you're going to see that he's not done yet still because there's more to do. He wants to change your story so that your story can make history. You see, you weren't called just to follow Jesus. You were called to change history following Jesus. So get ready. Get Get ready, get ready, as T.D. Jeek says, because God's not done. Can I get an amen? amen. I want to read from uh, a text that's found in the, in, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 30, 38. We're going to walk through history a little bit so, so you can see that throughout the Bible, God uh, finished certain things and, and he completed certain cycles, but, but he wasn't done. And I'm going to show you some examples. And then we're going to zoom in on this scene that's found in Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 38. And you, uh, most scholars see it as, as the penitent criminal story where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has a couple of, of words to say. And out of the seven things that he says when he's hanging on the cross, we're going to hang on a couple of words and a little conversation he had because I think it'll bring meaning to the big idea. Because even though he waited until the end, God was able to do something. And we're going to learn a little bit about that exchange. So are you all ready for this? So turn to your Bibles real quick and, and let's read this together. Um, it, it starts off like this. Verse 38. We'll start right there. It says, now there was also an inscription above him. And this is Jesus on the cross and the, the inscription. It said, this is the king of Jews. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, the other criminal, and rebuking that one, he said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, in the King James Version, you'll see him say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, and I think, pause for a second, look at me for just a second. I think this is one of the biggest demonstrations of grace in the gospel narrative. He looks at him because of a question and he says, truly, in other versions, you'll see verily. In the original Hebrew, you'll see two words followed by each other. It, it speaks to emphasis. So, so, so in other words, Jesus is saying, in the heart of hearts, I am speaking with all honesty. That would be the word truly unpacked for you tonight. I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. It was about the sixth hour. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. If biblical writing had parentheses for certain things that were being implied, I think this is what be implied in this verse right here. This is not in the Bible. This is what I think, and you can spit this, out, spit this out if you want to. But I think in parentheses it would say, but he wasn't done. And he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. We see here that a flagrant miscarriage of justice has occurred. When Jesus was judged before Pilate, he got a letter from his wife. And in the letter it said, I had a dream with this man. He is, he is innocent. Have nothing to do with this. And he heard the case and he found no fault in this man. Times number two that he's found innocent. And so Pilate says on a holy day we can release a prisoner. They don't choose Jesus. He washes his hands and says, may, this, may the blood of this innocent man be on your heads. And, and Pilate also finds Jesus innocent. At the cross, we see a penitent criminal look at Jesus and find him with no sin. We find him innocent. And also, after Jesus breathes his last, the, the man in charge, the, the, uh, the figure of authority under the cross, looks up at what had happened, and he says, clearly, this was an innocent man, the Son of God. All throughout the story, you're going to see that Jesus was innocent, that he was blameless, but still he went to the cross. And, and the question that most people have that don't have a, a revelation, a strong understanding, a, a deeper knowledge of why Jesus had to, had to die, they, they don't understand that, that, that it was because he was innocent that there was value. You see, it was because he didn't make a mistake that it had weight. It, it was because he never erred. It was because he never failed. It was because he was always in good standing. It was because of his right standing that we can stand right. Because of what he did, we didn't have to go through it. If you want to know why Jesus died, it was so his substitution could have value in us. Wow. That was a trick question. And so 
I, I, I understood love from a son to a father, and I thought that was, that was a strong love. My dad's always going to be there for me. He protects me, you know. He's my role model. And, and then I had my sisters who I, I really didn't like that much, but they were cool. <laughs> Later on, I liked them, I promise. And, you know, they... That was a, a different kind of love, and then, and then I got into romance and, 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 and the other kind of love, and, and I met my wife, and I'm like, this is like the ultimate expression of love. Like, how can, you, how, can, how can it get any deeper, any stronger than this? And then five years went by, I'm like, it's getting, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it was, I have a great marriage, by the way. Um, and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, after, after my wife is, is pregnant with our first son, Christian Isaac, yeah, we do double names always. Uh, he, she, uh, when I see him I at the hospital in, in, in Boston, uh, it was as if, you know, time stood still. And, and I, I looked at, at my son, and then at that moment, I was introduced to a, a different kind of love. Because up until this point, I knew fraternal love, I knew paternal love, I knew eros love. But, but now I have met a truly uh, protective, fierce, uh, uh, reckless love that, that would do anything and so I'm taken aback, and on that day, I, I promise you, while I was at the hospital, I had like five moments where I had to find a place in the car or, or in, in the quarter at the hospital where I just wept. I just, I just cried because when I, when I first saw Christian, uh, he, he came out crying. They usually do, and, you know, they cry forever. Uh, they, <laughs> they don't stop crying, by the way. It's okay. And, and, and uh, well, when they sleep, they don't cry. Thank you, Jesus, for sleep. <laughs> And, uh, and in that moment, uh, as soon as he heard my wife's voice, she was saying how beautiful he was. He recognized her voice, and, and I have it on video, which is so cool, but not tonight. I know, should have planned that. Uh, and, and he hears her voice, and, and then he immediately stops crying, and he's looking around because he recognizes that voice. So in that moment, I was introduced to this, to this love that, that bared no mind for my own sake to, to protect this life, to, to love him with, with more than, 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 than I am, than, than on anything. And I used to always joke with my wife, and I would say, you know, babe, on a good day, I might die for you. You know, like I, I jump in front of a bullet on, on a good day, maybe not Tuesdays, but, you know, no, I'll die for you. And it was this debate, right? And then, and then when I look at Christian and I see him playing and I see him walking around, it's so different because it's, it's this love that, like, I would do anything to protect him. And I've figured out that, that Christian, he's my most valuable possession. That there's nothing I wouldn't switch to have to, so, so that he would have health. Like, I wouldn't think twice to give him an organ, to give him my heart, to give him my life. Like, I would sell my cars if I had any. Uh, you know, I would, I would get your money to help him. I would steal, I would rob banks. I would, like, I would empty out. Like, there's no value that I could put on my son. And so I, I can honestly assess now as a father and in, in having another boy, which will make, will make it a circus, uh, that, 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 that I, can, I can say he is my most valuable possession. And, and so in, in, in an instant where maybe, you know, in a hypothetical situation, if I walk down the wrong alley in Rio de Janeiro, probably any alley, by the way, and, uh, you know, I, I'm in there and I see like three pit bulls running at me. How many know I'm going to run faster than Usain Bolt? Can I get an amen? I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump walls like I'm on the Olympic team. Like never trained a day in my life. I will jump like I will beat the world record because I don't want to die. Right. That, that's that's me. Like, I, I don't know if you, you'd stand your ground or whatever. But if I see three pit bulls run at me, I'm gone. Like, I don't have to be faster than the pit bulls. I just got to be faster than you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to live. But hypothetical situation. 
And if I'm in the same scenario, now watch this. I'm in that same alley, which could be any alley in Rio. <laughs> and it's dangerous, any alley. And, and so, I, 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 but, but this time what happens is, you know, the, the, the ferocious pit bulls, or, or let's call them lions, whatever you want, if you like dogs, um, they're coming at us, they're hungry, they're mean, and, you know, they're not there to have a conversation or sit down and have like a Dr. Phil heart-to-heart. They, they want to bite something. So, same scenario, but this time, I, I, I have Christian with me. Now Christian's there. And, and he's standing between me and, 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 and the predators that are coming. Now it's different. Now it's completely different. Because now I am willing to stand without a single doubt and, and figure out, I'm not planning my escape. I'm planning, how can I put my hand far enough down one of those pit bulls' throat to make him gag or, or, to, or to poke one in the eye or to, you know, make one trip up so Christian has enough time for him to get away. But pastor, wouldn't you be bit? Wouldn't you be scratched? Wouldn't you get hurt? It doesn't matter because when you have a fierce love, you will do anything to protect that thing that you love. See the difference? That's the love I met that day. That's the kind of love that I understood. And so when I was introduced to that, it helped me see the gospel completely different. Because as God, as, as Jesus now is on this cross that, that we've been reading about, that, that we got into the text, you know, that's his son on the cross. Yeah, God sent him, but he raised his hand, you know. There was a problem on earth. There was a broken relationship between humanity and God. And so Jesus was the answer. And let me just stop for a minute and say, Jesus is the final answer. He was the answer that was enough then. He's enough right now. And he will be enough tomorrow. There is no more response coming from heaven. Jesus Christ and his blood has been sufficient forever for me and you. And for all of our futures combined together, Jesus is enough. Woo, I feel like preaching this morning. Come on. And the Bible says, if we would continue to read, that, 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 that Jesus looks up. One of the seven things that he says on the cross is, God, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of people think, well, why did God reject Jesus? Was it an embarrassment? Was it, was it a moment of humiliation? Was it, like, explain that to me. And now I can. I'm glad you asked, by the way, because now as a father, I want you to know that there are certain sufferings that your son goes through that you just cannot bear to watch I think God turned his back never because he was forsaking or rejecting Jesus I believe with all my heart that he turned his back so he wouldn't have to watch what was happening to him because if he did he might have destroyed the earth with the twist of his ankle the writings say that the sun was obscured. Some scholars say that it was an eclipse. Some people say that, that it was a huge cloud because darkness fell on the earth. But I would submit to you this tonight. If the most valuable possession in the whole entire universe is hanging on the cross, waiting to breathe its last, on the account that Jesus said yes and wanted to go, I think that all of heaven united and encircled earth. At that moment, all of heaven's security system, brigades, army, and military surrounded the earth. And I believe the sun was obscured because the forces of heaven were all waiting to, in a moment's notice, act on behalf of Jesus. 
Jesus. If he would have just said one word, yeah, get me down from here. Let's go. I'm out. If Jesus would have said one word, all of heaven would have flexed in a moment to retrieve Jesus from that moment of suffering. But the Bible says that even though he was innocent, he was silent. Why was he silent, church? Why didn't he just say, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through 40 slashes of the cat of nine tails and be tortured and be beaten and have my beard ripped out even though I am the son of God and have a thorn with nine inch thorns uh, beat, beat on top of my head so that it would that it would cling onto my head and, and there would be pain and there would be drawing of blood and have me walk a Via Dolorosa that I didn't have the strength to do. Why would Jesus go through all of this suffering knowing that at a beckon, at a moment's notice, he could have asked for help and I believe that it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the, 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 the cross on his shoulder, it wasn't the whip, it wasn't the Roman soldiers, it wasn't the fact that he couldn't escape, it was because he loved us enough to say yes to that and it wasn't the cross, it wasn't the nails it was his love for me and you back then that kept him there he wanted to stay he wanted to stay because he wasn't done Jesus wasn't done I know at the cross he said Testilistai, it is finished it was finished. It was completed. His purpose in his cycle ended, but our story was not done. Every time we fall short, grace will always keep you going. Every time you think you're not enough, grace will turn that page. It's found in the beginning of the history of our human existence in the garden of creation in the garden of Eden in the moment where they were created and they rebelled against God by eating by eating of the forbidden fruit the bible says that they became shameful of one another and and and, and they looked for clothes and they hid from God you could understand reading the book of Genesis chapter 2 and 3 that God at the turning of the sun he would come to Adam and Eve every day and there would be communion in the presence of God and so this day after they had disobeyed God, the Bible in the account would go on to tell you that they hid from God. And, and when they hid from God, God decided to call them out. And, and if you would read the Bible, the Bible says that, that, that he, the father came into the garden at the rolling of the sun and he, said, and he starts calling out Adam and he's saying, Adam, where are you? Now God is omniscient. Can I get an amen? amen. Now God is all knowing. Can I get an amen? amen? So why call out Adam's name? Why have to, if he knew where Adam was, and I think it's this, it's because God wants to know he's not done even though you messed up. He wants you to hear him calling your name to know that he's searching for you. He wants you to hear him calling your name so that you would understand that you are no longer where you once were, but he is coming to where you are. I want you to know today, church, that God will always come to your point of weakness to let you know that that will not be the end of your story. That mistake will not cost you your future. That error, that moment of weakness will not cost you your whole life. You will have to go through some consequences but God will stand up and say I am not done with you Adam and Eve were not kicked out of the garden my whole life I learned that they weren't evicted because they didn't pay the rent the Bible says that God led and, and went with them outside of the garden now if I owned property and you were my tenant and I kicked you out I wouldn't go with you I'd be like let me find somebody that really pays rent 
But if I kicked you out and went with you to wherever you're going, did I kick you out? I moved us out. See the difference? Because in the Garden of Eden, there was two trees. What were they? What were the two trees? The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. They were in a fallen state. If they were to eat of the tree of life, it is said that they could have been forever stuck in a fallen state. And so the Bible says that there were two angels placed on the pathway to the tree of life so that no man could find this way there with swords of flames, cherubims. These are powerful angels. I believe there's something in the story. God is saying, I want to protect you, not punish you. I want you to be in a place where you will never be in a fallen state again where there was a redemption story. So in the moment that they were removed from the Garden of Eden, God went with them because he was not done with humanity and they would come out of the garden of eden you know the story and and you there, there's a long history of how humans would later on and and they would make mistakes and noah's son and 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 the, the earth was filled with 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 evil and, and and there was a flood but 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 there was one family that that god believed in and and this family would be a restart because god wasn't done with humanity and then they would come abraham and even though abraham isaac and jacob would have a curse a generational generational curse where they where they had issues with lying got God, God allowed Joseph to come into power because that was a statement that there was hope, that God was not done with the founders of our faith. And so when they, when they were in famine, Joseph grew into power in Egypt. You know the story. They would come into Egypt, and, and they had abundance, and they had fruitfulness, and they had a way out. But then later, other pharaohs would rise up that didn't know the story of how Joseph had helped the empire, and they began to punish the Jewish people. And then uh, hundreds and hundreds of years later, there would, there would be a man called Moses. Moses, that, that God raises up and he takes the people of Israel out of Egypt and it's called the great exodus and they wander into desert and they came, they're, they're coming out of bondage now because God wants to let them know that even though no one believes in you now, even though they're holding you a hostage now, even though you don't have the same benefits now, even though you're being discriminated now, even though you're not seen equal in the eyes of the Egyptian, my God is telling them that I am not done with your story. Even though there is an inequality that's growing I am not done with the local church even though there is evil that's rising I am not done with your story God is always telling us that even though the circumstances might not look this way he is not finished in fact the moments of extreme corruption are the perfect opportunity for perfect justice to be poured out so don't worry my friends it may look bleak it may look bad it may look like there's no way out but I promise you that my God still has the last word and he is saying up until this day that he is not done the people would come into the promised land they would have to conquer other tribes they would have to establish themselves they would have to protect the territories we would come into the ages of judges and then the ages of king and there was no man there was no person that could completely please God and so because humanity could not find the answer to bridge the gap of broken relationship between human and God Jesus came as the answer and he lived a sinless life and he died for us on the cross but when he died it wasn't the end it was the beginning 
his end marked a new beginning for us. So I want you to know this night that even though your experience, even though your historical background, even though you don't have the right last name or you don't have the right amount of money in the bank or you don't have the dream house or you don't have the career that you wanted or you don't have the relationship that you dream of, I want you to know this. If you trust in God, God will tell you that he is not done and that there is more for your life. Can I get an amen? I said God isn't done. God isn't done with Ambassador Church. God isn't done with City Church. God is not done with Pawtucket. I know you think you're too old and you missed the bus. God is not done with you. A retired man over the age of 60 started KFC. You have no idea what God can do in a year. You have no idea what God can do with some oil and chicken fried. Imagine what he can do with some crazy Brazilians and Portuguese people that have been Americanized with a mix of Cape Verdean sauce. Hallelujah. Jesus. I think hell has no defense mechanisms for that. They're like, what do we do? They're too, they're too Pentecostal. They're too excited about Jesus. Get out the way. We're about to be crushed. I want you to know that throughout the stories that we all know and have grown to understand in the Bible, and maybe you're here this night and you don't fully understand some of the excerpts and the quick snippets that, that I went through just now, but these are, these are uh, uh, summaries of, of great stories that, that we find in the Bible, and, and the pattern that I wanted you to see is that, is that in each one of those examples, God comes into their story and tells them that he's not done with them. And so the, the, there is, I understand that the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, but it's not irrelevant, sir. It's not irrelevant, man. This, this is a living book. You see, the, 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 the more modern we get, the more relevant it becomes, okay? The more relevant it becomes. This is the only book that, that you don't need a new edition, okay? It doesn't have to be revised. It is a love letter from heaven that teaches you how to come to know your God. And so the teaching may have been of an example 2,000 years ago, but the principle is timeless. Right. Say that with me. It's timeless. timeless. Tell your neighbor, it's timeless. timeless. It's timeless. Now, when we get to the story of Jesus on the cross, there's an interesting conversation that happens with this criminal and Jesus. Other versions in, not other versions, but other accounts in different gospels would also tell you that this same penitent criminal or, or, or evildoer, if you will, or, or malefactor, or whatever version you, you read in the Bible, it would say, like in the book of Matthew, that, that even though he later, as we read, called Jesus a king and, and he asked him to remember him, uh, the other gospels would also account that this same guy was also hurling accusations at Jesus. And so it doesn't mean the gospels conflict. Let me tell you something real quick about the Bible. The Bible never conflicts, it harmonizes. If it was always perfect in every single viewpoint, in every single account, then we would have to worry about fraud and editing. But because it's different, but it doesn't conflict, it harmonizes, it tells us more details to the same story. It's because you saw some things that someone else didn't see, but all of those things happen. It's not conflicting, it's harmonizing. The Bible has not come to confuse us, it has come to liberate us. 
And so this man must have had a change of heart. And the question I had, what I had when I was reading this it was, what happened that got him to change his view of God? And I believe that how you view God will determine how you respond to him. One thief looked at Jesus and said, aren't you the king? So it says on the inscription, and if I was to paraphrase, there are in the other accounts of the other gospel, the, the Bible says that bypassers and religious leaders were also accusing him, saying, didn't you say that, that on the third day you would rise again and that you would destroy the temple beforehand? What, 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 what happened? And so they, they, they were mocking Jesus because he claimed to be a king and he was hanging to die on the cross. And so the criminal looked at him and says, aren't you a king? Aren't you the son of God? Why don't you get down from there, get us down from there, and, and save us? And, and it's interesting that, that if you study patterns in Jesus' life, he will always ignore the voice of distraction. And the Bible says that he was silent before this man and he did not acknowledge what he was saying. Now, it's not that Jesus is mean. It's that he's faithful with his decisions. It's not that I'm mean. It's not that I'm hateful. It's that he is faithful in his purpose. I believe Jesus didn't say anything because his answers were just that powerful. If Jesus was to respond, they might have taken him back off down the cross because he's such a good speaker. He's such a great communicator. I believe he chose to stay silent, not only to fulfill prophecy, but so that his powerful answers wouldn't relieve him of the crime. So even though he was innocent, he stayed silent. It's interesting. This is an interesting fact. Many people would think that he, if he would have spoken up, he would have been freed. But he decided to stay silent so that you could be free. I can't even, that wasn't even in the notes. A lot of people think that <laughs> a lot of people think that because Jesus was silent, he he was imprisoned because if he said something, he could have gotten down. But he was silent and he stayed nailed to a cross so that me and you could have freedom. So in that moment, even though he hadn't died, he was already transferring freedom. You see, you see what's going on in the scene? There's more than what you're reading. Never read the Bible like a book. Read it like a love letter. Pay attention to the details. Ask questions. I promise you the Holy Spirit will answer you. The Bible is that book that you can read it with company every time. Because whenever you open up the book, the author makes himself present in that moment. And Jesus did the same thing. If you remember John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in adultery. She was brought out before Jesus. They wanted to stone her because she was, she was caught in the act. And in, in no moment does Jesus address the, the, the accusations or the accusers. He's silent before them. He, he kneels down. Nobody knows what he's, what he's writing. But the pattern is this. That every time that there is a voice of accusation, not only does Jesus stand in front of that, but he ignores it. So he's doing it to protect you and to silence it. Remember when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane? They came after him and they said, they, they, they said we're looking for Jesus of, of Nazarene. And, and in that moment, if you, if you read the, the, the Bible, not, not only in, in scenery, but also paying attention to posture, as in like, based on how you're reading, where are people in the story? Are they behind? Are they to the left? Are they to the right? And if you were to read the account of when Jesus was arrested, you can paint a picture of where everybody was positioned. Now, when they came looking, Jesus came 
after uh, uh, Judas came after and, and, and he was about to kiss Jesus to identify him. And they came after him with 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 torches and, 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 and weapons and, and, and swords with a, with a Roman guard as if he was a criminal. And, and we all know he was innocent. And as soon as soon as they get closed, they, they, they say, we're looking for Jesus of, of Nazareth. And he re, he replies, I am he. And it's interesting that everybody falls back on the ground when he when he responds, I am he. And for a long time, I was I was thinking, well, what happened there that that when he identified who he was, everybody fell back. It's interesting because then then if it was me in that moment, I would have been like, OK, everybody's on the ground. Let's get out of here right now. This is your moment. Jesus, go left. Peter, go right. Peter, put that sword away. What are you doing? Let's go. I'm out. This is the moment. Everybody fell back. I don't know what Jesus said, but something about how he responded made everybody fall back. I would have run. Am I alone in this? You would have run faster. I know you would. I'd be like, nope. Go. Get back here. And, and, and what's interesting about this story is, is that um, Jesus doesn't run away. And, but what made him fall back? And when I began to, to study the scripture, I, I understood that in, in the moment where, where Jesus responded, I am he. He didn't respond saying, yes, I am Jesus, son of Joseph and Mary. He, he didn't respond, I am the kid that grew up in Galilee. He responded with with a different answer to identify who he was. And this is why there was so much power to his identification, because for 33 years, he would always identify himself as as the son of Mary. And and in this moment where his ministry begins, he now as he's about to fulfill his purpose. Now, listen to me. okay? I just want to teach on this for a moment. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. He had a mission to disciple 12 Jews for three years, and he had seven, he had a couple of hours of purpose. Jesus' purpose with the disciple were different. His mission was to disciple 12 people. His purpose was to die on the cross for us. He loved the whole world so much that he decided to spend nine-tenths of his three years ministry with 12 Jewish men. There's a difference between mission and purpose. His purpose was to die on the cross and to fulfill something for us. But his purpose was to disciple 12 men that would change the world as we know it. And in this moment is when it begins, because now he's not identifying himself as teacher or rabbi. He's now identifying himself in that same way where Moses was in the desert and God had told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And then Moses, a stuttering man as he was in the beginning, because even though you have weaknesses, God can overcome those weaknesses because he's not done with your story. And so he tells Moses, tell them, tell Pharaoh, tell the king, Tell the authority that I am who I am. I am who I am means I am enough and I am in of myself. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the alpha and I am the omega. Tell Pharaoh that's who I am. And then the people were liberated after 10 plagues. In this moment that Jesus responds, I am he. He says, I am that I am. I am the alpha and the omega. And because he now truly identified himself as the son of God and who he is in God there was a power that was released from his mouth and everybody fell back that's why they fell back because when you truly identify yourself the power of your affiliation with God will make the resistance fall back every time and what happens in the story is this they get back up 
And Jesus now says, I am he, a different, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And he says this, take me, but let these men go. That's the gospel, y'all. That's where, that's the sum, that's the summary of the gospel, where he's already releasing his followers to a decision that he's made. You see what's happening? So in every moment, Jesus will silence the accusation to protect us. We're back on the cross now, and he's not responding to the thief that is on his left. If you ever look at a if you ever look at a, a picture that was painted where it depicts the three men that were dying on the cross, you'll see that there's always a, a, a gaze of Jesus looking to his right because it's capturing that moment. He only had a conversation and a dialogue with one of the criminal. But why? Why did he, why did he ignore the other penitent, the other criminal that was to his left? And I believe this is why. I believe Jesus was silent for on a purpose because heaven is not interested in your questions. Watch this. Heaven is not interested in your questions. He had questions. Aren't you the son of God? Aren't you a king? Get us down from here. Save us and save yourself. Heaven is not interested in your questions. He's interested in your response to the response of heaven. Watch this. Watch this. One criminal wanted to get down from the cross. The other criminal wanted to go up from the cross. Heaven has no need for a conversation with someone that wants to get down from the cross. But he will save those that want to stay on the cross with him. Do you see that? And then the one that's on the right, he says, Jesus he recognizes who he is. He says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He had a different view than the other guy. He says, when, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today you will be in paradise with me. A different question produced the biggest demonstration of grace found in the Bible. The difference between the two was viewpoint. One thought that God, that he wasn't God and that he couldn't help him and that he deserved to be there anyways. The other thief saw him as a savior, as a king, and he saw hope. The power of God in your life will always be limited by your view of God. This is why the devil is after families. Because the relationship that you have with your father will influence every other relationship in your whole life for the rest of your life. The relationship you have with your father is one of the most important ones because it does two things. Write this down if you want to. When God created Adam, the Bible says that everything else he spoke into existence. But when he created us, he breathed life into us. And he formed us with his hand, with dust. Now, when you form something with your hand, two things happen. Your digital imprint transfers to the clay, transfers to the dust. 
Whenever you think of fingerprint, you understand that it means identity. Everybody put your thumb up. There is nothing else that's going to replicate that thumb. It's one of the most securest form of identification if you have a thumb. When God created man, he transferred identity from him to us. That's what he meant by let us make. Interesting, everything else he spoke, but now it's teamwork to create man because he wanted to make us in image and likeness of who he was. So he transferred identity with his fingerprints. And when he formed our body, watch this. Whenever you form something, you establish limits. And so what God was doing is he was giving us identity and he was establishing limits. Listen to me, men. Listen to me, fathers. Your primary role as a father figure will always be to transfer identity and establish limits. That's so good right there. I'm going to preach. I'm going to get my own tape after this. How will you how how you see God will determine how you respond to him. Watch this. A limiting question stems from a limiting view of God. What did we learn from the scene? Well, we saw different perspectives from the bystanders. We saw different answers from the religious leaders and the two criminals. But what about the faith of Demas? This is what historians call this criminal who was to the right of Jesus. They they attribute the name Demas to him. And, and, and what, what I think is interesting in, in this part of the narrative is his faith. Like, he is hanging to die, and to be on a cross, he must have not lived a life that was worth living. Uh, he, he must have been a bad person. He must have done plenty of, of bad things, probably a terrorist, as they say, because uh, they would usually crucify uh, people who would revolt against Rome. And so, so here he is on the cross, and he has more faith in this moment than all of the other disciples combined. Because where are they? One is there for a couple of moments with the mother of Jesus, and then, and then, and then he's gone, and the others are all watching from far away. And so in this moment, Demas had more faith than all of the disciples because when Jesus is in your presence, there is always room for hope. Now watch this. Watch this. This is important. And then I'll begin to end. In everything that God created, he establishes an atmosphere for it to thrive. When God created the blue whale and, and the orca and the dolphins and things that are smart in water, he, he meant for them to be intelligent in that water. If you were to take an agile dolphin and, and you were to throw it onto the beach, would it be agile, yes or no? It's majesticness, it's, it's sleekness, it's, it's speed, it's, it's ability to thrive. Would it, would it diminish, yes or no? Yeah, it would. So even though it's powerful and even though it's beautiful, if you take a, a, a smart, beautiful fish out of water and you, you throw it on the sand, it's not in the atmosphere that it was made to thrive in, and so it begins to diminish in value, and in fact, it ends up dying. And the same can be, can be said for the birds of the air. Uh, if you're a bird watcher, God help you. I have no patience for that. I know two birds, the crow and the eagle. Hallelujah. And if, if you were to, 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 to watch the, the bald eagle or, the, or, or, or these, these birds of prey, owl, the, those, the ones with the big wings, whatever they're called, uh, if they're beautiful in the air, 
and, and they're majestic. And when you see them soar and, and you hear that eagle scream, it's like, wow, that's powerful. That's, that's amazing. And, and if you read the Bible, God will only ascribe his characteristics to two animals, the eagle and the lion. Now watch this. If you take an eagle or a powerful bird out of the sky and you were to place it in the cage, what would happen to that bird? If you take away the atmosphere in which it was meant to thrive, all of a sudden it loses its power, it loses its appeal, it loses its purpose, it loses its identity. An eagle in the cage might as well be a chicken. And what could be said about the, the redwood trees, some of the tallest in the world, you could find them in California. But if you were to take the dirt, which is the atmosphere in which it thrives, and you, if you were to remove the dirt from the tallest, most strongest trees, inevitably it would usually and probably topple over. And what good is a tree if it's not standing? What good is a tree if it's not providing in its purpose to, to be tall and, and to provide for the habitat and to serve its purpose in the ecosystem? If it's rooted out and if it's misplaced, all of a sudden, and it loses its, its, its identity and it becomes firewood. It becomes compost. And, and the same can be, can be said for, for the animal kingdom. We, we like to say that the lion, he's, the, he's at the top of the food chain. But he's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. He's not the most agile. But he's still the king of the jungle because he acts like the king of the jungle. And I think some Christians need to start acting like you're the son of God. You need to start believing in the things that God spoke to you. You need to step into what God has released over your life. God has nothing to say for you. You need to step into the things that God has already said in your life. You have power. You have purpose. And you have identity. Receive that now in Jesus' name. But the lion doesn't go hunting for prey underwater. Because that's not the Serengeti Plains. That's not the jungle. The, in fact, they say in history or anthropology that, that, that the, the lion is the king of the jungle. So if you throw a lion in the middle of the ocean, what happens to it? It loses its kingship. And so if all of that is true, and if you agree with me, then this is also true. This is also going to have some truth in it. When God created us, there was an atmosphere for us to thrive. And this is why God came every day in the Garden of Eden. Because his presence is where we thrive. This man was in the presence of Jesus. And when he saw him for who he was, his life completely changed. Asking the right questions comes from seeing God in the right way. A beggar would ask for mercy, but a son will receive grace. In this moment, he received grace. I started this message saying this, God is not done with you. Grace will turn the page. 
grace will allow you to continue. Grace is a bunch of things, but it's also this. It's the thing that empowers you to continue. Grace is what comes in when your power is out. When you reach, listen to me, Christian. When you reach the end of your resources, this is when grace is the most powerful. This man reached the end of his attempts. So all he could do was say, Jesus, remember me. And that's all you have to do. Ask God to remember you, and guess what? He will remember you. The prophet Isaiah would write that even if a mother of a nursing child would forget that child, and that's cruel and mean, and it can happen. The Bible says, though, that your God will never forget you. In the presence of God, there is an abundant grace. I promise you this, ma'am. I promise you this. God has not set you up to fail. He has set you up to thrive. But to thrive, you must always seek the presence of God. Mercy says you deserve judgment, but lesser or, 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 or no bad things will happen to you. Yet grace matches mercy's offer and then gives you the good things that you don't deserve. Scandalous grace. This man received a full measure of grace because of one question. Grace is forgiveness. Grace saves us. Grace is a free gift. But grace also empowers us to do the things that alone we could not. I want you to stop trying harder. I want you to be transformed. There is a saving grace, but there's also a sustaining grace. God does not want you to come to church. You are the church. I don't go home at night or after work because I have to. I go home because I love my wife and my family. We don't come to church because we have to. We come to church because we love our God. Well, no, no, pastor. God is just waiting for me to mess up. No. God is waiting for a chance to keep you from messing up. God is angry. God is ashamed. God has forgotten about me. No, he hasn't. The reason why we have these thoughts is because maybe we had a father that was like that. In my life, it was like this. My father was a first-generational immigrant. He came over. He worked a part-time, side-time, part-time, bar-time, time-time. And he provided for the family, but he was an absent father. And so I thought that because my father didn't have time for me, because he was too busy providing, fixing, solving problems. In my prayer life, I thought, I don't even think God's listening to me. He must be busy. He's got so much to do. There's so much going on. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. Just because your father failed you, just because you had a negative earthly experience with your father, that doesn't mean God is like that. There is a new relationship with God that you can have that goes deeper, that gives you more meaning than anything you could ever imagine. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, literally, because Pilate wanted to appease the Jewish leaders. Literally, because Judas wanted to make a profit on 30 pieces of silver. 
but because he had mostly to settle a debt that we wouldn't have the ability to pay because our striving wouldn't be enough. He died so that we could continue. If you could stand with me this night. God is not done with you. God is not finished with you. When Jesus was on the cross, I believe he saw Roman soldiers, people playing lottery for his clothes. The Bible says that it got dark in the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Jesus was destitute of heavenly powers, but because of his relationship with the Holy Spirit, he had access to power. This is why he could discern thoughts. This is why he knew of things that were to come. This is why he healed miraculously. This is how he could walk on water. This is how he could feed the many. Because power was always for people, and he had access to the Holy Spirit. So even though he was 100% man, because of the Holy Spirit, he had 100% access to God's power. And in that moment, look at me, church. He could have left. But he stayed. And as he looked down, he saw a weeping mother. He saw John, the beloved disciple. He saw other standby, people standing by. He saw security. And, and when he began to look up, he saw thistles and brushes, stones, the city limits of Jerusalem. He saw the horizon about 14 miles away. He saw a sky that was darkening. And I believe that when he looked up, he saw into the sky. With his heavenly eyes, he had a vision. And his gaze, the gaze of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, piercing with pure love. The man that whenever he looked at anyone, he always saw the best in them. Even though they didn't see it themselves. I believe, I believe those eyes saw beyond the atmosphere, saw beyond the stars, saw beyond space, and saw beyond time. And this is how it's personal to you and me, because in that moment, he had a vision of you. And he did not see you in your best moment. He didn't see you on the stage getting a raise or moving up. He saw you taking turns before you went home. Not wanting to get out of your car as you parked in the driveway. He saw you on your bed as the tears came down the bridge of your nose. At your limits, he saw you in a dark room. He saw you in a dark place. And he saw that you weren't going to be enough. And so because of you, he decided to stay on the cross. He said, they will not be matched. 
And so I will die for them. His love for you was so strong as it is today. The love of Jesus does not get weaker as the years go by. It compounds on souls. And this moment is a special moment because his love for you proves your worth. If you ever question how much God loves you, ask any father how much he loves his son. He loves you more than all of heaven. In that moment, the most expansive transfer of wealth happened. All of the value of Jesus was transferred to all of you. So don't you dare think that you're not enough. Don't you dare think that you were a mistake. Even though you came out unplanned, maybe, I want you to know that the Bible says that you were fearfully knitted together in God's image. And he called you by name before your parents knew you. He just needed a vehicle to get you on this planet for a beautiful story. You had a purpose before you were born. Don't you dare look in the mirror not like what you look. Don't you dare consider yourself weak or not enough. Because inside of you is the breath of God. The transfer of DNA particles happened in that moment. And inside you is the potential of God himself waiting to happen. You are a giant. It's time to wake up. But in this moment, It's a somber moment. If you could close your eyes where you're at and bow your heads for the sake of privacy. Maybe you're here this night and you're thinking, that's a great story, Pastor. I've heard of Jesus. But I'm asking you, have you ever accepted Jesus? I know you've heard the story, but have you ever accepted him? Jesus is the best thing that can happen to you. This is the one decision that can completely transform your life to a higher level. This is where change happens. This is where destiny transformation begins. When you just say yes to God. And so if that's you, as I was preaching the sermon or because of the atmosphere of glory in this place or through the songs, if you were thinking, well, you know, I want that for me. I, I want to know God like you know God. I, I, I want to know him. I want to know his love. I want to open up my heart. And if you feel like there was a knocking on your door of your heart tonight, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, he is a gentleman. And on that door, there is a latch. There is a knob. But the knob can only be opened from the inside, and that's where you're at. And if you were to open that door, I promise you this. That is the best decision that you could ever make in your whole entire life. When you say yes to God, you try so many things. I'm just saying, give God a chance. Give God, a, give God a chance. Try God tonight. I promise you, this is the strongest product that the world has ever seen. Sometimes we change our friends. We change our style, our relationships, our jobs, our classes. But we don't change the most important thing. What's happening on the inside, the inner struggle. I'm telling you that it starts with a decision. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three. 
And we have eyes closed, not because anything spooky is going to happen, but so that there can be concentration and privacy for this moment. When I count to three, it's just me, you, and God in this moment. And let me just say, this could be the defining moment that changes your story and your family's story forevermore. Do not shy away from this moment, young man. Do not shy away from this moment, ma'am. This is the moment that your whole life has been culminating to where you say yes to God. So if that's you, I come against every resistance in your, resistance in your life right now, and I demand and order you to be free for this decision. In Jesus' name. I'm going to count. One. If that's you, I want you to know that all of heaven is standing at attention, waiting to celebrate you. Two, God loves you more than you will ever know, and his love begins to be demonstrated now. Three, if that's you, could you just put your hand up so I can see you? I see you to my left, ma'am. I see you to the back. I see you in the middle. I see you to my left, sir. Thank you. I see you in the middle also. I see you behind me. Thank you for your decision. Glory to God. Thank you for your courageous decision. I see you.